0: He e tenei nā te reo irirangi o and we're
1: into extra time! Welcome to RNZ's Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. The Warriors are about to start the new NRL season, and for the second straight year, they're based in Australia. And there is no prospect yet that they'll play any games at home this season. Trying to get away are the Black Caps for the Tour of England, which includes the Test Championship final, while some of the players are also keen to play next month's IPL. They've just knocked over Australia and are about to take on Bangladesh, while the White Ferns will face Australia later this month, having disappointed in their series against England. It seems the biggest challenge now is will the Black Caps be able to get moved up the COVID-19 vaccine batting order? Today I'm joined by former Warriors and Kiwis coach Frank Endicott, former international cricketer and Auckland City Councillor Peter McGlashan and RNZ columnist Hamish Bidwell. The Warriors finished 10th in the pandemic-hit 2020 season, not bad after they had to move to Australia and also bring in some lone players to cover for injuries. Coach Stephen Kearney was sacked and Todd Payton became interim coach. Nathan Brown is now in charge and the club has brought in a number of player reinforcements. Hello, Frank. Uh, they've been through this situation before being based in Australia. Will that make it easier or harder for the Warriors this year?
2: No, I think it's going to be easier for them. Uh, it's going to give them a bit of solidarity in, in one place at the, the one time. Their families are over there with them, and um, I, I think they'll become, a, they'll become a better unit because of it. And uh, They've got good training conditions, and uh, they'll get used to that, and I think, as I say, will make them a better team.
1: The uh, other teams last year, there was a lot of sympathy for the Warriors and what they went through. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, sympathy perhaps isn't going to last too long this year.
2: No, it won't. Uh, they would have forgot that already. And of course, you know, other teams, they had to go through it also. You look at Melbourne Storm, they had to go through the same. Um, but uh, look where they ended up. So it can be done. Um, it's like being on tour. When you go on tour with the Warriors or the Kiwis, you always become a closer unit the longer you're, you're to- away together. So I'm picking this is actually um, going to bring them closer together.
1: Yeah, you obviously have connections and you know talk to to people within the rugby league community. Do you think, you know, it, it really did play a part in how they performed last year?
2: Um, Yeah, I I think what's happened, I think the recruitment's been a lot better. Um, You know, you look at the players I've recruited, Nathan Brown's got a certain plan in mind and I think if you look at the recruitment, um, he's gone for some big forwards there in the pack uh, and you look at the naming of this team against the Titans where he's got four forwards on the bench, um, there's no secret how he's going to play the game. So um, I think uh, I'm a lot more optimistic this year than I have in in previous years, to be honest. I think they've got the ingredients to be up there in the eight. I wouldn't suggest they'll be in the grand final. I'd love to see them there. Um, But I can see them around that seven, eight position at the end of the year.
1: A lot of Māori and Pacifica players involved in the Warriors. Of course, their family's very special to them. So, um, you know, I suppose just even having some immediate family there or just one or two is going to be a, a big help.
2: Oh, without a doubt, I, that was the problem last year. Um, you know, they they missed their uh, families big time, and uh, as we know, four of them went home uh, because of it. Um, but you know, they ended up doing a good job. Um, I thought Todd, Todd Payton did a, a wonderful job with them near the the end of the year, and they come home and finish in tenth place. So they're not far away. And uh, as I say, I think they're a lot better unit this year. I looked through their lineup, and uh, they got some very good players there.
3: Yeah, for me, they're in that bracket of teams that are going to finish between 9 and 13 on the ladder. Um, I don't see them making the playoffs. I think they've got a workman-like team, uh, but they're not particularly good. There's not a lot of game-breaking ability. There's not a lot of smarts. Um, A lot depends on the back three, one of whom, Tuivasa Shek, is leaving, as we know. Sort of interesting to see how he goes this year. Um, One of the things they have in their favour is Phil Gould. Phil Gould's got that consultancy role with the Warriors. His value to the Warriors and New Zealand Rugby League will develop as time goes on. He's able to develop commercial opportunities here in New Zealand and uh, better pathways for to retain youth, uh, stop them going for Australian clubs or stop them going to rugby. He'd be fantastic in that role. In the meantime, with COVID, he's been restricted to just dealing with the team itself in Australia and he'll be a great asset to them. Nathan Brown's a bit of a journeyman coach. He, he keeps blokes happy. He's a nice fella, but he doesn't really win a lot of games. And I think that'll be the, the thing for the Warriors this year. I think fans will, as they did last year, will um, give them the benefit of the doubt if there's a demonstrable effort, if there's consistency of performances, not necessarily winning, but consistently performing. And if no one complains about their situation, that endeared them to fans across the competition really last year because they got on with it. Um, Guys did go home, but we understood their circumstances, but the rest of them that remained were really positive about it. And the one thing I would like to see happen uh, down the line is the NRL compensate the Warriors for these two years. Um, they've missed out on a huge number of commercial opportunities by being based in Australia, by having no home games. So things need to be done to make sure the Warriors don't miss out because you know it's a hellishly expensive enterprise um, running a rugby league club, especially when you're running it away from home without revenue, without sponsors being able to participate. So the NRL need to look after them in that regard down the line. I think they're good
2: enough to make the eight, just uh, scrape in, as I said before, seven or eight. Uh, In fact, I think this game on Saturday against the Titans is going to determine who who gets that sort of final position in the eight. Yeah, I understand what he's saying about the smarts and the speed, and and the one thing that can hurt the Warriors is speed. Um, We haven't got too much... When you look at our team, I think the two players that are a threat to the opposition is, uh, of course, the fullback Roger Tuvasashek, and I thought Cody Nicarima showed real um, form last year in breaking a line. I think they're the, really the only two players that can actually cause the opposition defence problems. Uh, I, I think just,
3: you uh, and Aitken could be an OK pick-up at centre. Like He's got a little bit about him. They haven't had a lot of strike at centre, as you know, Frank, so that, that could offer them something. He'd be no, that, right, that, was the
2: next, that was the next thing I was going <laughs> to say. <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've always seen the centres as, as possibly our biggest weakness over the last couple of decades. Um, Ewan Aiken is is, is no mate. He's a he's not a huge player, but he's very very strong, powerful. He can score tries, um, but you know we need to get clean ball to him and give him a bit of space. But uh, he's a, he is a good signing. I really like him. And if I could just touch on maybe uh, something Hamish said about the coach. You know, I, I know Nathan Brown pretty well, and I know he hasn't coached a lot in the NRL, and I take that on board. But I. He did well in England at St Helens, um, uh, very well, but they're a good side. So he's got a lot to prove as a coach, also. But I think he's got the makeup uh, to really get on with these guys and um, and get the best uh, best out of them. He's got a tough streak in them um, that they'll uh, they'll see over the course of the year. Uh, but he knows how to get on and get the best out of them too. And um, you know, I wish him all the luck.
3: He did do well at St Helens, but Newcastle obviously had a tough job trying to rebuild a club from nothing, and, and they went seasons where they could hardly win a game. And when he finally did assemble a squad, some of those better players, guys like Ponga and Pearce, they kind of bailed out on him, and he was shown the door. They, 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 they played up off the field. They stopped. They lost respect for his coaching and his methods, and he, he was shown the door. And so that, that's a bit of a knock on Nathan. I think if that hadn't have happened, yes, I'd be a bit more positive about him, but, but he seemed to lose the playing group in, in Newcastle, and that's a potential issue.
4: How do you think you'll go
3: with Gould in his ear? Would that bother you as a coach, having someone with that much experience and that much smarts? Would you see it as a valuable tool? Would you find it a nuisance? How will that relationship go, do you reckon?
2: To have Phil Gould over your shoulders is, um, yeah, it can be a little bit daunting, to be honest. Uh, I think that Nathan will get on well with, uh, with Gus Gould. Um, but you've only got to look at what's happened with Gus and um, you know coaches at Penrith over the last couple of uh, yes. years, and, and you know coaches don't like to have someone that's been an ex-coach breathing down their putting pressure or well, breathing down their neck and putting pressure on them. But, you know Gus is either do another job. Um, let's just you know assist the coach, um, mentor him, uh, but you know let him make the decisions.
1: You mentioned you'd like to see a year under their belt, but I've already heard um, Cameron George say that they're facing financial strife this year. Already they're going to be quite a bit in debt. Uh, Peter McGlashan, I mean, this is Auckland's team. You know, I don't know what sort of uh, hope there is up there, but, I mean, by the end of 2021, if the Warriors aren't winning and they've got this big financial hole that they've found themselves in as well, I mean, it it doesn't look too good.
4: No, it doesn't. And you know, we all I guess reflected when the lockdown started this year last year about what sport would play, what role it would play in I guess providing some normality for all of us and you know just looking at the disappointing crowds at the cricket last week we really do if we do want to keep sport going when we do get those moments between lockdowns to attend we really have to uh, it's a shifting minefield with the different um television mediums and the way that people receive their information and their broadcasts so it's critical if the fans want these sports to stay alive that they they find as many ways as possible to support them i was on the board of Baseball New Zealand when the Tuatara sort of started to find out that the Australian Baseball League wasn't going to be able to accommodate an Auckland-based team. And, you know, it does make it pretty tough because it's not just about players on the field. You know, there's, there's lots of admin staff and others that have life, um, livelihoods supported by this professional sport.
1: Do you think the fan base may be waning because of the lack of seeing their, their team in action?
4: Well, I think the, 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 um, the fear with the fans, you know, come and go a little bit. There's, well, the Warriors will always have a diehard fan base, um, yeah, just because of the history and the ups and downs, and the people that are, you know, um, Warrior fans through and through. And I guess, you know, in a competitive market, traditionally that would have been a problem. But if there's limited stuff on, people will watch anything. So it, it's, I guess, as the sporting landscape starts to shrink, it'll be a case of whoever um, can survive will probably. Be up most well, what, what are the odds of
3: the Blues finally getting their act together while the Warriors are out of the country like that's not that's not a great break for rugby league that one isn't it because the casual fans all going to super rugby
4: and that's a challenge for sport in general isn't it As, um, and Auckland is in particular fairly fickle with their support of the Mystics or whoever it is it's something about Auckland we just don't seem to win titles up here uh, despite all the promise so yeah you're right it's a it's, there is an opportunity for one of the sports to come through to either solve what sport looks like under COVID or shift what fans' expectations are of what sport looks like under COVID.
1: Well, we move on and there were mixed fortunes for the New Zealand men's and women's cricket teams last week with the Black Caps beating Australia in their T20 series, while the white fans continued their disappointing run with a T20 series sweep by England. Both sides are now preparing for their next series with the men to play Bangladesh. And the women, doesn't get any easier, they're playing Australia. Uh, Peter, um, we're not going to see Kane Williamson in this uh, series against Bangladesh. Uh, some cynics may say that uh, it's only Bangladesh and, and we don't need him. But your thoughts um, on him? He didn't score too many runs in that uh, that series against the Aussies, did he?
4: No, it was a difficult one. I guess it was um, you know, the T20 format is, is fairly unforgiving. And it's good to see other people step up. It does create an opportunity for Devon Conway Uh, Will Young and Daryl Mitchell to debut in the ODIs. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Uh, Daniel Vittori, I guess, being the other one to throw in the mix with him being a coach for Bangladesh. So there's a local, local on each side of the field and it'll be good to see how the New Zealanders respond after a tough battle against the Aussies.
1: We've discussed it previously. Are you interested, excited about this World Test Championship final?
4: I am. I think we've waited a long time for a way to... To, to really confirm who the best test team in the world. And, you know, just the nature of test cricket, the fact that it takes five days, you, know, you only get one game a week, means it's very difficult to kind of have any context of who the best is at any given time. Now, the rankings will go up and down, but we have earned the right alongside India to to play in a final. And uh, while it's in England, it's a shame that, um, you know, there's there's no whole team, home team there. I'm sure the... the um, been shifted down to Southampton but I'm sure all those tickets will be sucked up by definitely Indian fans uh, plenty of Indian fans in England and hopefully some Kiwis as well will get along to support the game as well.
1: Well getting away Hamish of course uh, they may need the vaccine and I know that uh, New Zealand Cricket's been lobbying the government uh, to get uh, some of their guys pushed up the the order perhaps
3: philosophically, I'm not super in favour of that. I, I know that it that applies to Olympic athletes potentially as well in terms of getting vaccinated. Far out. Um, yeah, it doesn't really spin my wheels. People jump in queues, but I understand that that's how life works and then I assume it'll happen um, and it, the right noises will be made and people go, oh, we've considered this very seriously. But actually, they didn't really consider it because they knew they were going to acquiesce to it in the first place. But yeah, we'll, we'll go through this sort of charade and then we'll um, we'll vaccinate them and off they'll go.
4: Does that mean you're going to boycott watching the games, Amos? <laughs>
3: I have boycotted some of the games because I'm not a big Spark enthusiast. That's that's absolutely fair. I was at the last T20 game um, in a corporate box, which me and my friends paid for ourselves, and we saw Ashley Bloomfield, who was enjoying the hospitality too. So good luck to him. He was doing some serious meetings, but not the whole time. And um, yeah, it was weird. You mentioned before, you know, crowds, Peter, and, and making the experience enjoyable. And they swept, they flipped things over, as you know, on Sunday with the men playing first and the women later. Well. By halfway through the women's game, they were trying to get us out of the box and, and off home, and we'd been sold an hour after stumps was 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 farewell time. But I didn't I didn't appreciate that a lot, and there weren't that many people there, and I thought they would have made more of an effort to um you know uh, appreciate our custom.
4: Wow, yeah, interesting to know. I mean, you know, we don't want to tell tales, but interesting to know where that came from, whether it was the stadium or or NZC hosting the game, but. When we start to question why the white ferns aren't performing, it's less about the big things and more about the little things for me. It's more about where the white ferns sit within the New Zealand cricket family, Um, you know, the level of time that is spent about strategic decision-making to support the development of players. It's not about dollars and cents. It's not about, you know, whether they're on the posters at the same time as the guys. It's about those little things where the fan you know, gets encouraged to take the opportunity to see a, a cricket product that they haven't seen before. And it's only when, you know, as a, as an entire system that we start to look after the most vulnerable, and that goes for COVID and sport and businesses, that we'll actually have a chance of them being successful. I mean, I've obviously got mixed views with the um, vaccination. You know, there's lots of important people on the list as far as health conditions that need to get the vaccination first. But equally, if you want to have sport as an outlet for us to, kind of, I guess, connect and join from a societal point of view. We might have to, you know, every now and again, let the people like this kind of take a step in front of us. Think about the Bangladesh team. The Bangladesh team, they've spent the last two weeks in isolation to, to play cricket for 10 days in New Zealand. Um, they're going to be in isolation longer than they are playing cricket. So little things like that, so that all those people that go along and watch the Bangladesh games and watch it on TV and get enjoyment from watching the Black Caps, That's what we're balancing off versus, you know, letting 15 or 20 people get the vaccine early so that they can go away and represent us in some of these games that we're excited about.
1: I did hear one expert this week actually say that um, you're talking about the Olympics, uh, some Olympians, perhaps uh, three or 400 with all the extra people that may go and a couple of dozen cricketers. And so perhaps uh, the numbers aren't huge that uh, he didn't see a problem with it. This is extra time, and a new survey has given a striking insight into the pressures that New Zealand's top female athletes are under that could compromise their health and performance. More than 200 of the country's elite sportswomen were asked about aspects of their well-being, from training load and injuries to contraceptive use and menstrual health. It also looked how they were affected by appearance, with 73% of athletes feeling they had to alter their physical appearance to conform to gender ideals. 9 to Noon's Catherine Ryan spoke with two members of High Performance Sport New Zealand's Whisper Group who conducted the survey. Professor Holly Thorpe, who was the report's uh, socio-cultural lead, and Dr Sarah Beadle, a sports and exercise medicine specialist. Professor Holly Thorpe told Catherine Ryan about the survey and the link between women's periods, disordered eating and stress fractures.
0: The survey was wonderful to get some a real understanding of the significance of the body image pressures that our sportswomen are currently experiencing and where those are coming from. Social media was a significant pressure on our female athletes as well as other places in terms of media, in terms of themselves, in terms of coaches. So as you mentioned, 73% of our cohort believed that their sport was putting pressure on them that was damaging their overall health. 22 of our athletes were told by their coach to lose weight for performance reasons and that made them feel awful about their bodies. 15% reported engaging in disordered eating practices. So we've got some real issues going on in the culture of sport that this survey really tells us that we need to start working on. So you've answered my initial question, which, which is, is there a line that you draw that say, if you're going to be a top athlete training this hard... As a byproduct, some of you may experience sometimes these things stress fracture, regular periods, iron deficiency. Mm-hmm. It's actually a canary in the coal mine because when you mm-hmm. link it back to what they are telling you about the pressures on them, this isn't an accidental miss, this is a response to those pressures. Absolutely. And that's Great. where our work comes in now moving forward is that we can do a lot with education and prevention and thinking um, some of that transformation of the culture of elite sport um, around understanding and then as as well as doing better in terms of diagnosis and support of those athletes who then may continue to suffer some of these issues. Sarah, you've also studied depression in athletes. The reporting from this survey came back at around 11%.
2: We still underreport mental illness. We still don't maybe diagnose it as well as we should in society, but also in the elite sporting population, and whether that's stigma or it's disclosure or it's um, something they don't want to talk about with their elite sport. Um, So for me, I was a little bit surprised that number was, that I thought it would be a little bit higher than that. But the same with like if we then compare it to the amenorrheic number or the oligomenorrhea, which is the irregular or absence of periods. So the, there were quite a few that had that, I think 12%, but yet fewer than that, sorry, 33%, but fewer than that had actually been diagnosed with energy deficiency. We're getting better at recognising it, but we're still, we're still not kind of drawing the link and wrapping the team around them as quickly as we can.
0: Holly, is there an awareness of these things among the athletes? Were they knowingly aware that their training practices were A, causing some of these symptoms, and B, that it was not good for them? This survey wasn't really looking at the knowledge of the athletes around uh, LEA and RED-S, um, relative energy deficiency, uh, um, and a relationship between some of these symptoms uh, and conditions. But we do know from research more broadly that the, the knowledge base is pretty low, um, and that is an area, I mean, it's changing. The conversation is changing. More, more athletes are talking about it and hearing about it and, and becoming educated. But there's still quite a lot of stigma when we're talking about female athlete health, and that's a lot of the work from the Whisper Group is trying to, to bring these conversations to the table so that people feel comfortable having these conversations and that female athletes know that they can get the help that they need and don't have to feel scared or fearful of consequence.
1: Professor Holly Thorpe and Dr Sarah Beadle talking to Catherine Ryan. That brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Frank Endicott, Peter McGlashan and Hamish Bidwell. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher... Radio Public, iHeartRadio and of course RNZ.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would that helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Barry Guy, Kākitiāno.